Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Backseat Fanatic. I'm your host as always, Ryan Brown, and joining me as he always does is Maddie Klassen. How are we doing, sir? Doing well. We've got a lot to talk about today, as always, so let's just get right into it. Yeah, so before we get into the men's team, we do want to mention the uh, the women's team a little bit. They had a big game, as we mentioned at the end of our last podcast. Undefeated Colorado was playing number two ranked Stanford in a very highly contested and anticipated matchup. I was just going to say, yeah, we're 13-0 going into the game, right? 13-0. Yes, 13-0. They were 13-2, uh, and two, I believe. 13-2. and two, So, they've so, but, you know, Stanford, historically ranked and, you know, kind of revered program in the women's side of it. So, it was going to be a good one, and it actually was. So, first thing I want to say is shout out to the fans for showing out. This was a the packed stadium was game. packed. Yeah, it was actually a really packed game. I was Really impressed. fun environment. Um, I believe, I want to say... It was probably the second most attended game CU sports basketball-wise had, even with the men. The Tennessee game for the men's earlier this year, December, was pretty packed. But other than that, I believe this was the most packed of any game I've been to this year. So it was pretty cool to see that everybody's showing out for a women's game. Yeah, super fun. Student section went almost, I mean, three-fourths of the way up to the top, which we do not see at the men's game. So I think we'll I think we'll see that this upcoming week against those big matchups. But I just wanted to shout that out. So, uh, And it was fun because the CU Lady Buffs did get off to a hot start, getting up 15-6 to six in the first five minutes of the game. And it was a weird game in the, in the sense of no one really knew where the Lady Buffs stood. You know, they were undefeated but hadn't really played anyone. So this matchup, it was going to be a good kind of marker to see where they're at. Yeah, you could tell that this team's pretty good, though. The oh, absolutely! Women's team. I think that they're definitely going to be in the tournament, and that they're going to be a higher seed, a higher seed probably. Yeah, they hung around with Stanford for the majority of the game. It we didn't feel outmatched at all. It felt like CU's no, women's no team means. was in in that same league of wherever Stanford is, which is near the top of the the whole women's division of NCAA. So no, I think I thought they hung in there. I mean, we did eventually lose. We'll get to that, but. Thought it was a good no, show, showcase. No, held, held their own, had a 10-point lead at the end of the first quarter, had a lead at halftime, tied going into the third. And, you know, Stanford, a lot of turnovers killed them early, but, I mean, they, they're they Stanford. They they found a way to win. We were definitely outmatched a little bit, but I thought it was fun to see the Lady Buffs play the way they did, and it was encouraging because I think they're going to have a really good season. Yeah, and two of our players that are our leading scorers and kind of our main players uh, – I don't know their first names, Hollingshed and uh, Sherrod. Both of them kind of underperformed compared to like just what their stats normally say they perform. Yeah. At. So you'd think even if they had a game that was on par with what they normally do, that CU might have won this game, which is a yeah, good sign abs- actually going forward. Absolutely. And uh, one of the s- kind of players that stood out to us, you know, we didn't we didn't really know too many of the players or about them going into the game. But Key Miller is super fun to watch. She's really good. She's number 11. Yeah. She comes off the bench, but I actually think she's like, Maybe our best player, if not big one. physical girl that that can shoot the ball well and you know use her physicality inside to get some easy buckets. Plays a ton so. of conf- with a ton of confidence, so she's fun to watch. So you know we we won't mention them a whole lot, but we'll definitely keep you guys updated because they're they're going to be a fun team to watch through the season, kind of track their progress, and I I definitely think they can make an impact in March. So we will keep you guys updated on that. Yep, definitely. All right, moving on from the women's game, we're going to move into the men's first game of last week on Thursday against uh, University of Arizona. They were ranked number six in the country coming to that game. They're also in the Pac-12. I, th- I believe they're number one in the Pac-12 right now. They are. Really good team. So 
we'll just get right into it, and that's kind of what showed itself in the first few minutes of the game. Colorado missed their first seven field goals attempts, and just nobody could get anything going. And with six minutes left, they ended up calling a timeout after getting their first basket, and we were already down 11-2. to two. So coming into the game, we knew that Arizona was a better team than us. We weren't sure how this was going to go. But right in right at the start of the game, their size and their talent, they have one prospect who's a wing player, and he didn't even actually perform like completely crazy, but you could just tell that he was very indicative of their physical and just kind of talent matchup. Benedict Mathurin, uh, or Matherin. He didn't he didn't do a whole lot, but you could tell he was the best player on the court. Yeah, he definitely looked like the best player on the court. And their bigs just compared to Evan Batty, which we're gonna get into later, they just they were kind of beating us up. And turning we were turning the ball over, which we've talked about all season. We have a problem with turnovers, we have a problem with our lead guard. Uh in the first twelve minutes of the game we were turning over like crazy. I believe we had thirteen turnovers in the first half, which that's just killer. Because as we're as we're gonna say, we were actually close going in the half, but we couldn't get anything going. No one yeah. could get anything going. Yeah, those those first, especially six minutes, but up to about twelve minutes, it was a little it was a little demoralizing, I think, for the players and the fans because it almost felt like we didn't belong in that game. We were outmatched on every aspect through the first twelve minutes, and it it was tough to see because we knew that was a possibility going in, but this team had also shown signs to where it could not, and we could hang with them. So it just it sucked. It didn't go that way. Yeah, and right about halfway through the first half. Colorado was able to spark a run. KJ Simpson was a huge part of this run. Interesting fact, KJ Simpson was actually committed to Arizona when previously when he was a junior in high school, I believe. And then their coach in Arizona parted ways and it, he decommitted and ended up committing to Colorado because Tad Boyle had recruited him. And the guy that Arizona had ended up hired had not really recruited him at all. So interesting, he was playing his first game in Arizona's gym, but it wasn't how you typically yeah. would have thought he'd be playing that game. But this became his game pretty quickly. He ended up having a career-high 17 points, 14 of which came in the first half during what was the rest of this half where he launched this run. And he was really the only guy that could get anything going and the only guy that was actually posing any sort of problem for Arizona. Absolutely. It was impressive that we were able to crawl back into it, but I think the part, and we'll talk about this kind of at halftime, was it wasn't the normal people that were keeping us in the game. It wasn't the starters. It was kind of our bench that was keeping us even within an arm stretch of the you know the game. Yeah, the starters only had eight points at halftime, which, considering we were only down four, is almost unbelievable. Because Colorado was down, like I said, they were down 11-2, and then the, the lead got to be about 15 at one point, and then they really fought their way back in. They cut it to four with about two minutes left in the first half, and then... Arizona got a back ahead a little bit, and then CU ended up cutting it to four at half. That ended up being the deficit that we were at at half. But like you said, the starters were not the reason why. It was majority KJ Simpson, and then Luke O'Brien also contributed to that run and had a nice little nice little patch of scoring there. Yeah, no, he had some big buckets. Our de- our defense definitely picked up. Arizona's intensity definitely fell off a little bit. You know, they got up big, thought this was going to be a coast game, and couldn't put us away, which is sometimes a problem CU has, but we saw Arizona have that. So we were able to crawl back into it. And then, you know, second half started. CU scored two points in the first four minutes. Arizona got up nine, and we just... That... That was tough because it was another we come out slow. KJ did not start the second half, which I think we were interested to see whether whether Coach Tad Boyle would throw him out there just because, like we said, this was it clearly became KJ's game for CU, you know? Yeah, and what really ended up being the problem for Arizona or for Colorado that Arizona was posing was there. We've talked all season about how Colorado typically has a physical advantage, and we did not have this in this game. Evan Batty really struggled. He looked really out of place. You know, his size, his height was an issue, and then his movement, his his almost inability to defend the rim was really a problem. And then Jabari Walker, as we'll talk about much more in depth in the takeaways, had his worst game of the season. He had a season low four points. He couldn't really get it going rebounding, and those bigs just ended up eating Colorado alive. 
Absolutely. They were getting so many easy points in the paint that just, I mean, uncontested layups, you know? The game was pretty much out of reach. We're not, I mean, we could go back and forth and tell you where, where the runs were and everything, but the game was pretty much out of reach about five minutes into the second half, and Arizona ended up... It was. I think they had a 25-point lead at one point in the last four minutes, but the, yeah. the final score ended up being 76-55, so Colorado was able to cut it to 21, but still just a, a tough game on the road for Colorado and one that was pretty indicative of where we stand in the Pac-12 and where we stand going into March. Yeah, no, it definitely got ugly, and you know how we mentioned first half, it was KJ's game, and you know Arizona started just double-teaming them because they knew that that like KJ KJ was the only one able to put the ball in the hoop that game and once Arizona was able to shut him down it it got pretty ugly for CU. Right, we so talked about how well he played but 14 of those 17 points all came in the first half. He didn't really get it going in the second half and that pretty no. that pretty much was the end of Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so moving on from the the game itself, we're going to talk about some takeaways from this game. Positives, we've already mentioned this. KJ Simpson, Maddie, I'll go ahead and let you talk about it a little bit. But this was definitely his coming out game. I was going to kind of hesitate on that because he he has shown signs of this all year. But this was the first game where you know he was CU's best player, and that was clear. And I think CU knew that. I think Arizona knew that. That's why they started double teaming him in the second half. He was the aggressor. He was the only one, maybe Luke O'Brien, who didn't look scared to be there you know didn't look out of position on the court in that game yeah I totally agree with you he was coach Boyle even said after the game that he's not afraid of anybody and that nobody intimidates him and I think that really showed because I think Colorado did seem a little bit intimidated and a little bit shell-shocked going into that game I'm you could tell even just from the TV, but I'm sure it was crazier in person. Arizona clearly had a pretty big student section just a pretty big crowd overall yeah so that does make it tough you know a lot of these guys, as we mentioned earlier in the season, haven't even played in front of crowds until this year. So that mm-hmm. was probably one of the bigger crowds most of them played in front of. I understand that. Coach Boyle doesn't have a good history in Arizona. He is 0 for 10, I believe, in his career in that building. And we ended, we only shot 33%. And I know I'm kind of sounding like a negative, but I just wanted to say that it, it is a testament to KJ Simpson. And I think that he played really, really well in that environment. And I think that's really important going forward. And then we also thought Luke O'Brien, which this not on the level that KJ Simpson was, but considering the role he plays, he's just kind of a glue guy. He does what he's supposed to in the offense and he plays really hard on defense and rebounding and running in transition. So his role just doesn't really change, even though the environment changes, which a lot of the guys, you know, that kind of seemed like they weren't ready for the moment, but because Luke O'Brien's role really isn't to fill the moment. I thought he played really well. And he actually, he was one of the few bright spots. No, I completely agree. And that's just, I mean, we have, I think, a pretty good 10 players on this roster that, that when they're out there, I'm okay with them. You know, I feel comfortable when they're out there. Yeah, at some point we're going to talk about what it means for next season because so many of them are young are going to, are going to be returning for sure. And so I think it's a really good sign that Luke O'Brien's kind of in the mix now. Moving on to the negatives, which we've kind of touched on all of these, so we won't run through them all like totally in depth. But first off, looked like we didn't belong, especially in the first, you know, 10, 12 minutes of the game. Yeah. Just the turnovers were really bad. We have had an ongoing issue with turnovers. Obviously, it's not going to be easier the harder the competition gets and the harder the environment gets, mm-hmm. but that was really a problem. Uh, we couldn't shoot to begin the game. We missed our first seven shots, so clearly had clearly with the turnovers and the missed shots early, we just had jitters about playing in Arizona yeah. and playing in that environment. And then moving on, Evan Batty and Jabari Walker. Evan Batty was one for six from three, so he was a part of that poor shooting night. And his... It, him being a liability on defense was kind of just clear for the first time. You know, he we know he's the leader of this team. He's a backbone of almost Boulder as a city. Yeah. You know, he's he's so well known. People joke on the the Pac-12 sportscast even that he's the mayor of Boulder. But he hurt us this game. He hurt us this game, and it became clear because I think I think Colorado would have stood a much better chance in this game with Arizona's backup center than we did with Evan Batty, who's mm-hmm. you know supposed to be kind of one of the stars of our game, stars of our team. So tough to say, but just true. And then. Jabari Walker, 
I don't know what he shot from the field exactly. We'll talk about it later because I have those notes somewhere else. But four points total. It was just, it was two for seven, zero for two from three. Yeah, Nothing. not not great in the moment, and you know we will talk about this later as well. But he might be coming back next year, which we didn't think was going to be the case at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think just the lack, like the starters were nowhere to be seen, especially in the first half and the first you know start to the second half. Even De Silva shot three for ten, like, and that's that's something we don't normally see from a good shooter. Parquet and Bartholomew combined for three for thirteen. Um, just just not a good game from the starters, and you're never going to win when your starters play like that. Yeah, so just. To wrap that up, as we said, Batty and Walker, but also just the kind of starting unit as a whole was not super great. Mm-hmm. Wasn't their best performance. I think we said eight points at half, and I think it might have just been 14 total. So really not a good showcase from the starting lineup in a, one of the bigger games of the season in the Pac-12. Yeah. All right, so a couple of days later, Colorado went from Tucson to Tempe to play Arizona State, who is 5-8 and eight going into this game, has struggled a little bit this year, and they hadn't played, I believe, in something like 1922. Yeah, something like that. They had an incredible layoff, kind of like we had in between Bakersfield and who did we open up against? Washington, Washington yeah, Washington State, yeah, Washington State. So that factor that factors into this. But Jabari Walker got us started. He went three from three, three for three to start the game, and then found Batty twice on two nice feeds. And Arizona State called their first time out with Colorado up ten to three. So we got off to a really good start. It looked like just as we came off those last takeaways. Batty and Walker really responding, playing well, doing their job. Looked really great. They come back in. Both of them scored again. I think when Colorado took a 15-3 to lead about six minutes into the game and Arizona State took another timeout, I think Walker had nine and Batty had six. So they had all 15 of our points at that point. So good to see them really, really running away with yeah. it at the beginning of this game. Yeah, they definitely, they came out with a sense of urgency, it felt like. it. it definitely. They, you could see just Jabari Walker. I mean, no. he, one jump shot. One layup off the glass, one just posted guy, guy up, got right to the rim. You know, nice I'm sh- I'm sure they took responsibility for you know not showing up in the Arizona game, and it it they were the leaders at the start of the game, and that was clear. So it was it was good to see that for sure. Then in t- typical CU fashion, Arizona State wouldn't go away. They cut the lead to four at one point. It was 15 to seven after the 15 to three timeout, and then they cut it to 16 to 12 with about 12 minutes to play. And the rest of the first half was very back and forth. Both teams there wasn't a whole lot of defense. Uh, it was a little rough at the beginning of that when it was 16 to 12. It stayed around there for a little bit, and then the scoring really picked up for both teams down the stretch. But the lead shuffled between four to eight to nine max for the whole rest of those 12 minutes, and. No, no, neither team could really get it going over the other team. Keyshawn Bartholomew was really playing well, which I think was important because, you know, as one of the starters, he really struggled in that last game. And KJ Simpson, as he really asserts himself, it, you know, you do have to worry about Bartholomew a little bit. He's only one grade above him. Mm-hmm. You know, his, his playing time has been a little bit infringed upon by KJ Simpson. So I thought it was interesting that to note that he was playing pretty well. And it went into halftime with a score of 37 to 34. So like I said, the scoring picks up for both teams, but the lead doesn't really change much. And it was only three for Colorado going into the first half after such a good start. Heading into the second half, Colorado was able to dominate like they did early in the first half, but this time they really put it away. And it was shooting, finally, for Colorado. They had a really good shooting stretch. In the first seven minutes of the second half, they hit 5-3. So Jabari Walker, Tristan De Silva, Neat Clifford, Evan Batty, and KJ Simpson all hit threes in that first seven minutes. And they took a 11-point lead with about 12 minutes to play. So finally, you just we've been waiting all year to see Colorado, first of all, just shoot the ball well for a good, good stretch, and that's what we finally did in this game. But mainly just to bury a team when we're winning. It's a game where we should win. You know, this team was 5-8. and eight. I think we came into it 11-4. Yeah, we were 11-4 coming into this game. So, you know, we're definitely a heavy favorite. We're a better team than them. We have size, shooting, and just talent advantage. 
Yeah, and with when regards to shooting, it's so clear watching them that it's such a comfortability thing when she see you shooting the ball well. It's almost contagious in a good way and a bad way, you know, versus a team that's not very good. You know, we have the lead, we, we start shooting the ball well, and then everyone's making shots left and right. But when the team goes cold, you know, it, it feels like we can't break that ice against good teams. We can talk about that later, definitely in the takeaways, but... Yeah, definitely. So over the rest of that half, like I said, we, we were up by 11. The lead grew to 18 at one point. Arizona State, they, they had a couple of runs where they made a few shots in a row and Colorado couldn't get stops or whatever. But for the most part, Colorado held a roughly 12 to 18 point lead for the rest of the second half. Ended up closing with the final score of 18 point win margin, 75 to 57. So this was a really good response from Colorado on the road. It was a really great response from the the veteran Biggs and Batty and Jabari Walker. Really really just the starters, I think. You know, we had four starters in double digit points, which was good to see. And just I mean, shooting the ball well, like we said, it's kinda contagious and uh good response game for sure. Right, so we'll just hop right into the takeaways for the Arizona State game. Like we said, I mean, we had this game kind of in the bag besides that kind of weak second half of the first half. But so we'll just we'll just get right into it. Great response from the team, like we said, Jabari Walker in particular. You know, he really struggled in that Arizona State game, and he had more points than he had or in that Arizona game, and he had more points in that Arizona State game in like the first two minutes. So great by him. Goes three to three, gets two assists early, really got things going. I think he ended up seventeen and thirteen or something like that, which was you know he's leading the Pac-12 in double doubles right now, and he he just tacked onto that. We shot forty percent from three, which we've talked about almost any time we shoot forty percent from three this season, we're gonna win ten to twenty-five. So high volume in attempts, high volume mm-hmm. in makes. You love to see that from this Colorado team. They're really hard to beat if they're shooting the ball like that. Positive, we'll call this a positive after the Arizona game. Coach Boyle said that we really needed to win one of the games in Arizona. Now, that statement's a little clouded because obviously yeah, that meant one, we're probably yeah. going to lose to Arizona and we're probably going to beat Arizona mm-hmm. State. But he said it, he meant it, and that's exactly what happened. We needed one of these wins yep. on the road in Arizona, and we got one of them. We got the Arizona State game. And then positive, as we just mentioned, finally a burial of a team in, this, in either in either half when we have the lead. Mm-hmm. Struggle a little bit to put them away in the first half. They hang around. But in the second half, we really did that. We did it shooting the three, got like we going, said, which yep. is huge, shooting it from three. And being able to do it that way was awesome to see from this team. So that rounds out our positives from the Arizona State game. And then... Two negatives, not, not a lot. It's hard to nitpick this game because yep. we were so in control for most of it, but we can at least acknowledge we let them back into the game in the first half after mm-hmm. a huge opening to the game with a big lead, let them crawl, crawl back into it, and then leaving it close heading into half. It was only a three-point game heading into halftime, which the way it seemed we were dominating Arizona yeah, State no, at it that didn't, point. It didn't feel like a three-point game, but it still was, so you know anything could happen in the second half if you leave it that close. Definitely. So uh, that's really all we have as takeaways for positive and negative from those two games specifically when we come back from a little break we're going to talk about kind of checkpoint in the season takeaways and some questions we really have that these two games illuminated for us so mm-hmm. when we come back we're, that's what we're going to do and we'll end the podcast on that note so some questions we have as we're looking at the season as a whole so far about you know halfway through at the start of the season in our first podcast you know we looked at Jabari Walker as this was his last year at CU rankings had him you know going first round second round and uh I don't know if his season is comparable to those to those projections those are rankings and with a season low at Arizona only having four points do you think he needs another year at CU I don't know. I, I'll start. Yeah. I'll start off the top with I don't know. Uh, as much as I may think I am, I'm not an NBA scout. But if you look at his stats, there's marked improvement in most categories, but with some caveats. So one of the things that brought him into this season with such a high NBA profile was that he shot 
he only played 14 minutes a game last year, which is it's not a ton. No, not at all. So, and he was only a freshman. I'll mm-hmm. keep that in mind. But he shot 52.6% from the field and was 52.3% from three, which is unfathomable. No, NBA first well, round, you know, Yeah, stats. exactly. And having watched him as a player this year, and he was also 77.8% from the free throw line. So I'll just read his whole stat line, actually. I don't know why I'm going one by one. Finished with 4.3 rebounds, half an assist a game, half a block a game, half a steal a game, two fouls a game, one turnover, and eight points a game. So... As a freshman, yeah, he was highly, highly projected. He's got an NBA body. His father, Samaki Walker, played in the NBA. But this year, his numbers have improved 13.1 points a game. So he's almost doubled in scoring, which is great to see. Doubled his turnovers, doubled his, er, but his fouls, his blocks, his steals, all the same. He's doubled his assists. And he, to, to be fair, he's playing 26 minutes a game. I was going to say, he's year. almost so, doubling his minutes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, he's almost double in minutes, which is a huge factor. But he's And he's had an increased role, but he's shooting 40, 45.9% from the field and 23.4% from three. Those just, I mean, the, these numbers that I just read you from this season in 26 minutes a game, he just doesn't. He doesn't look like the NBA prospect he might have looked at one point. And that goes deeper by a level when you consider that he's had all of his worst games this season against the best teams we've played, which is also indicative of what the team does, as we'll get to later. And then all of his best games, just like he had in 18 and 13 game against Arizona State, come in the easier games. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize him or anything like that. That's not the point of this question. We're just... We've been talking long term as if Jabari Walker was most likely gone after the season, and it looks like it might not actually be that way because he struggled in some really big games this year. He's looked a little raw, and his shooting splits just aren't where they used to be in a smaller role. So I really think there is a, a chance he might be back next year, mm-hmm. and that, that there is some things that are going to need to be seen from him before he gets drafted yeah, in the first round of the NBA. Absolutely, draft. it's w- when the competition gets higher. And, you know, the other teams have really good, you know, centers and power forwards. It's, I mean, his production definitely goes down a little bit. And last year, you know, he only shot 44 attempts from three. So maybe 52% is a little skewed. And he's already shot 47 this year. So he's already actually shot more threes than he has last year, only halfway through the season. But on half as many, or on way more shots because he's shooting half the percentage from three. So No, absolutely. It's just... I don't think this was ever a question at the start of the season whether he'd be back, and now it's it's starting to become a question, so that'll be something to, to look forward. Yeah, so towards the end of the season and down the stretch, it'd be really awesome if he has some big performances, if we somehow squeak into March, which we'll probably talk about that next episode. I don't think we have time today, but looking like March might not happen. Yeah. But hoping he has a strong end of the season. Absolutely. We'll just leave it at that. So another huge question that we're going to pose is, with all of KJ's performances and him kind of, you know, starting to get into a leader role on the team, do you think he deserves to be in the starting lineup? Man, I hate to sound so indecisive, but once again, I kind of don't know. I'll, I'll talk on the situation as a whole, though. KJ Simpson very well may be on a team that has some primary guard problems that, we, as we've discussed at length, we don't really, really need to get into it. He might be the best ball handler, might be the best scorer, and he might be the best passer. Yep. At a certain point, it becomes hard to en- envision leaving that on the bench forever. Now, at this point, it might not even really be worth it because like we just mentioned we might not even be making it to march so there might not even be a whole lot of reason to change the starting lineup right Mm -hmm. now you know there's going to be some guys departing parquet and batty are both going to be leaving the team so there's going to be room for kj to start next year so maybe it doesn't even make sense but i do think he's one of the five best players on a team and i think that's extremely clear i think he's the best guard on our team and i 
I think at this point, it's pretty clear that he's the best guard on Colorado's team. Yeah, one thing, I think it was on our first episode, you know, one one thing we were looking at is who is going to step up and kind of be the primary point guard ball handler for CU, and we were deciding between Elay Parquet, Keyshawn Bartholomew, and the answer to that question might be KJ Simpson, you know? Right, and you know, he has this high-scoring game of 17 in that game against Arizona. He was basically kept us in the game against a team we were horribly outmatched in the first half, scoring 14 in the first half. And then he responded well. He had nine points in the Arizona State game, which is above his season average, which probably shot up after that 17. But Mm -hmm. in that game, I remember seeing the graphic on the TV that he was averaging like six points a game. Yeah. So shot three for four that game. It's not like, you know, he shot nine. Exactly. Yeah, he wasn't missing a lot of shots. So he's playing really well. He's... He's a lot of our scoring, and then another problem that stems from this is when he comes into the game, Arizona was doing it horribly in the second half, which is part of the reason he couldn't even really get it going, even though he played so well in the first half. It just becomes so obvious that when he comes into the game, his responsibility is to try to score the ball, mm-hmm. and it makes them a little bit more one-dimensional when he comes in versus him being in the starting lineup and that just being a little bit more natural. When he's coming off the bench and he's trying to score like that, it becomes... I mean, he was getting double-teamed in the, the game against yeah, Arizona, no. and they were I mean, they were just throwing double-teams at him because they're like, this guy's in, it's his turn to score, that's what he's going to be trying to do. So I think that that's a factor. I, like I said, I don't know if I can answer the question of whether he should be starting, but yeah. I, I, I think he's one of the five best players on this team, and I think the team would be better if he was in the starting lineup. I would agree. So I know we'd talk about, or I know earlier on the podcast we said, you know, we we're going to talk about March on the next podcast, but we kind of want to address this now because it seems to be a common theme that CU's numbers shooting-wise are kind of skewed. And, you know, in the easy games, we're shooting really well, super high field goal percentage, super high three-point percentage. And in these games against, you know, tougher teams that we would see in March if we get there, the numbers are not there, not looking good for CU. Yeah, so first of all, we lost a game in the Pac-12, which really hurts us because we have a hard upcoming slate. We have to play UCLA and USC this upcoming week. But I'll just I'll throw the raw numbers out there and then kind of build my conversation from there. That's how I'm going to do this. So against Tennessee earlier in the season, we shot 34.5% from the field and 23.5% from three. Against UCLA, we shot 42.6 from the field, which isn't bad actually, but 23.8% from three. And against Arizona, we shot 32% from the field and 20% from three. Just to bounce off some games that weren't against like weak competition, mm-hmm. but some games where they're against weaker competition. 52% from the field against Washington State, 40% from three, 48.4% from the field against Washington, and 40% from three, 43.1% from the field against Arizona State, and 40% from three. So I, I will preface this with yes, obviously numbers are typically worse in games you lose versus mm-hmm. games you win. That's obvious. So we're not just pointing that out and saying, yeah, when we shoot better, we win. When we shoot better or shoot worse, we lose. But against better teams, we can't really get anything going from the outside. And we just typically don't shoot the ball well, close to sub 40% in all of these big games. And then when we're shooting in the high 40s or over 40, and we're shooting 40% or greater from behind the three-point line, we can win those games. Yeah. Now, yes, obviously, some of that's just the discrepancy in talent versus those two teams. They're those handful of teams. I mean, if you want to win in March, you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to shoot well against good teams, and I just I don't know if this team is capable of that right now. Right. Well, the point in bringing up all those numbers is right now we kind of we kind of look like we're middle of the pack in the Pac-12 or towards the top of the Pac-12, and you know our numbers are decent overall from the season. We look like we look on paper kind of like we're a great team, but we haven't been able to win any one of these close or big games against opponents that are better than us or even lose by less than double digits. We've lost all of them by double digits. And 
we are just getting the W's on the calendar. The games that we're supposed to win, we're we winning. are winning those. Mm-hmm. My point in all of this, because I don't want to drag this on for too long, I don't want to make too much of a point of it. I just, I think the expectations were high at the beginning of the year, especially after those UCLA and USC or Tennessee games. Mm-hmm. It, it really looks like we might be able to do something, but looking at it almost over a month later. We haven't progressed at all. It really hurt us that we weren't able to play that game against Kansas that got canceled because of COVID. Because mm-hmm. if we'd somehow been able to win that game, or even just made that another compete, close game, yeah. compete, we might not be talking about this right now. Exactly, and it would look really great for us strength of schedule-wise. But the future of this season looks a little grim for yeah. the, the Buffs. Now, the future in general, which is what we will do on a different podcast, looks so bright Super. for the Buffaloes, yep. especially if Jabari Walker does come back for his junior season like we mentioned. But... Like I said, I want to go ahead and wrap, wrap this conversation up. I don't want to drag this on too long. It just in the especially in these next two games, this next week against UCLA and USC, it'll be really interesting to see how we respond if we can win one of one or by God both of those games, and what our shooting numbers look like in those games. Because if we're sub forty from the field and sub thirty from three, that will probably yeah. be pretty indicative that we we just don't have it to play in big games this year. But if we could win one of those games and shoot well from the floor and shoot well from the three point line, that'll be a big highlight for CU going down the stretch. No, you definitely you definitely want to see something from CU opposed to just, you know, your normal fifteen point loss from your ranked team. Definitely. So so to wrap it up, like we mentioned, CU has two huge games coming up. On the uh, on the twentieth we play USC at home and two days later we play UCLA at home. I believe that's a Thursday, Saturday, so kind of back-to-back. And like we said, we want to see something from them. Hopefully see you can respond at home, maybe feel comfortable, shoot the ball well. But we will we will have a podcast ready for you after that UCLA game to break it down and talk about CU and how they played. The Backseat Fanatic is brought to you by The Bold and Scobuff Sports. The Bold and Scobuff Sports can be found on social media at TheBoldCU and at SBS underscore CU.